Attention, attention all personnel. It's MASHCAST. Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly. And joining us this week in the VIP tent is General Sean M. Myers. Hi, Sean. Welcome back. At ease, Kelly. I'm always at ease. Thank you so much for being here. Coming back for season six of the show. We're here to talk about Comrades in Arms Part One, which was the 12th episode from season six. So we are now officially halfway through season six. It originally aired on December 6th, 1977. Before we get to the plot synopsis, Sean, I do want to ask you, what's your general opinion of as we have now entered the Winchester years of the show? This is my prime mash years i absolutely love the overlap of winchester and radar they are some of my favorite characters my, my favorite character is bj uh, you know we've talked about that before but i i absolutely love that when they replaced frank they went in the exact opposite direction you know they they can't fall back on this guy as a horrible surgeon jokes you know, they, they completely changed it. And, and I loved that they did that, that they had the foresight to do it, to make it something different, something new. Um, you know, not now. And of course, him being like upper crust and refined, you can mine all of that material. But I, I, I love Winchester. I, I love him as a character. All right. Now you specifically mentioned the Winchester years with radar. Is there something about that combination or is it just? Those are the years that you know, radar just happened to be on the same time as Winchester that you think think were the particularly great seasons. Is right, the six, seven, and eight, or kind of not really eight, but like six and seven, basically. Right. So, basically, like BJ is my favorite character. Radar probably is my second favorite character. Winchester or Potter, maybe Potter, but I mean Potter's on until the end, so probably Winchester would be fourth. But the fact that I get so many of my favorite characters all together for like a year or two. I, I love it. I, I love these episodes. And I understand like the, the first couple episodes, they are trying kind of to, to find out Winchester, you know, like the, the maybe flirtations with mm-hmm. Margaret. And then like the, with get the episode, you're great at that. The episode where um he is kind of almost like a villain where he's ch- changing the script. Oh, change day. Yeah. Change yeah. But he, he's, he's never really that, evil again so they're they're trying to f- find who he is um but yeah that's I, I love these years all right excellent well great let's get right to it like i said it's comrades in arms part one it's the 12th episode of season six originally aired december 6th 1977 written by alan alda and directed by burt metcalf and alan alda colonel potter tells his doctors that the 8063rd wants to see a demonstration of the 477's arterial transplant procedure and since it was Hawkeye who first performed it, he's assigned to go. Hawkeye, Hawkeye also gets to pick a nurse to go with him, but Margaret picks herself to keep Hawkeye from treating the nursing staff like a harem. Just before they leave, Margaret gets a letter from Donald Penobscot, which seems to upset her greatly. She's surly and short-tempered during the whole trip to the 863rd, and she has no time for Hawkeye's joking around. Things get even worse when they arrive at the 863rd, only to find out that they have bugged out. The Chinese and the North Koreans had gotten too close, so the whole camp packed up and left before they had a chance to call the 477th and tell them not to send Hawkeye and Margaret. On the way back home, bobs start to fall, and they get thrown off course. Then their jeep breaks down, and Margaret is aghast that Hawkeye has no idea how to fix it. 
They hide in the brush when they hear some North Koreans approaching and watch helplessly as the four soldiers fix the Jeep, get it going, and drive off. Lost in enemy territory, Hawkeye and Margaret wander around and find a small, abandoned hut. Margaret is temporarily impressed when Hawkeye explains the logic of staying in the hut using actual military protocol, which he chalks up to having seen the movie Avon Costello Meet Hitler. More bombs start to fall, causing part of the hut to collapse. Hawkeye takes a piece of sharp wood in the back of his leg, and he screams like a baby as Margaret removes it. Back at the 477th, Potter and BJ are trying desperately to get some of the higher-ups to send out some search planes to look for Hawkeye and Margaret, but due to a combination of stupidity and incompetence, it takes forever just to get some of the brass on the phone. Hours pass, night falls, leaving Hawkeye and Margaret still stuck in their hut. They talk, and Margaret reveals what's upsetting her. The letter from her husband was written and meant for another woman named Darlene. It's gentle and romantic, and on top of that, it mentions Margaret as a hard worker and sturdy, underscoring just how little she means to her husband. Hawkeye tries to comfort her, but Margaret insists that she's fine, although she does down most of Hawkeye's expensive Japanese scotch, which he brought along. They go to sleep on the opposite sides of the tent, but in the middle of the night, the bombs start to fall yet again. Margaret breaks into a hysterical panic, and Hawkeye tries to calm her down. They embrace, look into each other's eyes, and share a passionate kiss. To be continued. Okay, well, uh, this is, uh, first off, this is the first two-parter of MASH's histories. We've gotten one-hour episodes, but this is a distinct two-parter in that the episodes aired uh, in two successive weeks, so we're going to be covering them that way. We'll be doing part two uh, next week. But, okay, we're going to do, you know, scene by scene like we normally do, Sean, but overall, what's your feelings about Comrades in Arms part one? I think this is a good example of how... um something you love maybe does something that you don't love but ultimately at the end they kind of make it okay <laughs> what um, are we referring to in this so, case? so i'm i'm not a fan of like this idea with uh hawkeye and margaret hooking up having this relationship um and you know i'm sure it'll be brought up in in part two um especially margaret margaret's reaction Right away. Now, I can no prize it <laughs> and and possibly give reasons and stuff like that. Um, but that's that we'll save that for part two. I don't know. I just think and especially knowing that it was written by Alan Alda and he always, you know, does a fantastic job. And and again, this is this is my feelings. Like, I don't know. I just think I think they could have had a better idea. E- even if they wanted to get them together, I kind of think it, it could have been handled better. But we'll we'll get to that when we get to that in the episode now overall i do like this episode um you know skipping ahead to the very end of part two i think it's handled very well at the end i just wish it wouldn't have happened okay so you object to the whole notion of hawkeye and margaret ever sleeping together right not so much how they did it but that they did it at all i if if pressed i would say yes i i don't like that they hooked up if they would have had to hook up i think they could have had a better reason excuse way for it to happen than this okay fair enough uh yeah i will say i'm not the hugest fan of this as a concept as well margaret and and hawkeye getting together and again there is more to get into when we do part two but i do feel as though this is sort of similar to fallen idol where it's written by alan alda and he's making one of the characters kind of go against hawkeye in some way and i'm kind of on hawkeye side in the debate and it's a little like okay you know like well why and all why is alan all to keep giving 
himself the the role where he's kind of the the put upon figure a little like you know why why is he is he writing all these but okay um much like with Fallen Idol though when I rewatched these episodes for the for this review I came away with it kind of you said like you said not no not so much no prizing it but finding things about it that gave it added context that I didn't remember and mm-hmm. made me like it more. So again, and we'll get into all that as we sort of go through these scenes. Um, so it opens up in the shower and Hawkeye and uh, BJ are clowning around and singing these songs and kind of off key. And Winchester says, do you realize you guys are singing, uh, you know, you're singing two different operas and they are both out of tune. And Hawkeye has the, uh, the, the retort. He says, don't blame me. I didn't write this stuff, which of course he did. Alan, <laughs> I wrote this episode. Uh, and then Potter comes in and does the whole bit about the, the you know, we, we have the AU-63 wants to have this demonstration of the vascular technique. And, uh, you know, I'm going to send one of you to go. And Winchester immediately is like, oh, I'm too busy to go. Well, that, that's fine because I'm sending Hawkeye. And, you know, like, why him? And BJ, even BJ is like, yeah, why him? And I love Potter's line about, boy, you boys are a competitive bunch, which I think is a great, you know, BJ's like, I don't want to take a backseat to Hawkeye. You know, okay. Did you notice, though, in the scene that when they're talking to Winchester, he's scratching himself a lot? And I wondered, is that like a thing that they were like, was there something about that? But they don't mention it, why he's doing that. What that is, like he is putting on underarm deodorant. But is it? Is that what he's doing? Yeah. But back then, like they didn't have aerosols and they didn't have like the speed stick like they do. So it was um, it, it almost was like a shoe polish that you would have. And you would, you know, put it on your fingers and then put it under your arms. Oh. Yeah. I that, even, that's oh, that's what that is. Okay. So I guess he just got out of the shower then, right? right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's weird that he's hanging around then. Why like, Why is he still hanging out with them? But okay. I thought he didn't like these guys. But okay. Oh, wow. I never I never realized that. I, I he was, think okay. I, I should have done my research. I think it's, is it called Stick'em? I think it's like... And the reason I, cause I, there was an MGM musical where like they're doing that and I, I forget which one. Why did I somehow know that would be your reference to understanding <laughs> what that was? So. I'll do my, I'll do my research retroactively and add it to the comments. All right. Fair but but enough, I'm almost positive that's what that is. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, I know there, there was an episode where Burns takes some sort of like can that makes it look like. It looks like it's uh, like a tobacco, like a skull kind of thing. Yeah, and then yeah. he puts it in his armpits, yeah, and then he does it. it on his hair, which that's the joke of like you're putting <laughs> the same bit. But that's got to be what you're talking about, that that's what it was. It was kind of like a little tin where you would do that. So, okay, that makes sense. It just never really – it always looked like Winchester was like scratching. I'm like, is there like a like a – you know, there's like a flea outbreak at the, there's like a subplot <laughs> that they cut and they left that footage in or something, but okay, that makes a lot more sense. Um, well, and the the other thing, which you alluded to about this scene, um, it is funny because I do like how Winchester absolutely like does not want to go, but is offended because like he right. is the best surgeon show, so he should go, but he doesn't want to go. I do like that aspect of it. <laughs> I love that Potter kind of removed, I mean, first of all, he's the commander, so he can't be, but he just doesn't get caught up in like the, who's the best surgeon. Like he's yeah, just kind of like, yeah. you three are, you guys are awful competitive. And then there's a great bit where Hawkeye's like, oh, of course, you know, he's like, why am I going? And, and Winchester's like, you know what you need is the humility transplant. And Hawkeye says, unfortunately, you'll never be a donor. 
And Winchester actually laughs. Yeah, yeah. And I says how, uh, how, yeah, how unkind. And I thought, that's great. I like that he, he can occasionally laugh at Hawkeye's jokes. He finds Hawkeye yeah. offensive, but that's a nice bit. I like him being a more of a buddy with these guys. I think so too. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think it's really charming. So, um, you know, they decide, okay, you're going to go off and we're going to, we're going to play for the 863rd. And then they mentioned the whole bit about, we well, get to pick a nurse and okay. And then they open the door and, Margaret yells like you, you know, hurry up, you guys would, and and we see all the nurses in there, and Hawkeye and BJ act like that they're shy, and they're like, oh, oh, you know, they're doing a whole kind of like, oh, we're, you're naked or whatever, uh, and then they they head out and they talk to the nursing staff with Margaret, and they, they give the whole skinny about what the routine is, and Hawkeye's just being Hawkeye, you know, um, he's treating as as Margaret says, you know, the nursing staff is not a harem, and that is kind of how Hawkeye is treating it. Mm-hmm. a little and you know she interjects and says you know no i'm going with you there's a great detail here where she says if you recall captain remember captain i assisted mm-hmm. you when dr borelli taught you that operation which is of course a reference to the third season episode the consultant where alan alda's real life dad robert alta robert alda played the the, the doctor who came and showed them that technique i for a show as we have talked about in many episodes was so loose with its continuity. I like the fact that they did that, that they reference an episode. And I also like the fact that they don't, they didn't overwrite it. Mm-hmm. They didn't explain. It was just like, look, you have to understand who that was and you have to understand the reference. If not, you're too bad. We're just moving on. I really like that. And I'm, I'm going to bring up loose continuity a little bit later in the episode, but yeah, it's, it's funny that you talked about that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I just think that I so many times in shows they would be like, well, you know, Dr. Pierce, if you remember what Captain Borelli visited and did, you know, they would do like yeah. so much more of a thing. Yeah. And they didn't do that. It was just, oh, if you haven't watched MASH, you're like, who's Dr. Borelli? But uh, all right. Within the context of it, I guess you understand somebody, somebody showed them this technique. Okay, fine. I do have a question. So certainly like this is a TV show and obviously like things change. And you can also say like it's a mobile unit. So things change. There are times, though, when there are three shower stalls, correct? Yes. Yes. And and in this one, there's only two. So that's fine. And I can also probably understand, it, it would surprise me that they wouldn't have a separate women's shower and men's shower. Although, again, you could explain that because, like, maybe they only have the infrastructure for those two or three stalls. That's fine. Right. But my issue is... Even at the most, we've only ever seen three shower stalls, but waiting outside are like nine people. (laughs) And you know, you're not going to get into your shower. Like, that's the part I didn't understand. Wouldn't you just wait in your tent and maybe like keep an eye out and then, you know, then go up to the shower instead of like hanging out? Like, if you're number nine, you're waiting like for two or three shower stalls to free up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe if it came like a, uh, you know, like a, like a hangout, you know, where all the nurses are just like, all right, we'll just hang out here. But yeah, you're right. You wouldn't, you're only doing two at a time. Even if everybody's getting like a four minute shower, you're still waiting quite a long yeah. I never even thought about that. But yeah, it is like, but it's, it's quite the bottleneck here outside, outside of the, the showers. And yeah, it wouldn't, it, and you know, they have to delineate. It's men's showers, women's showers. And it's like, 
Hawkeye and BJ or whoever is making somebody wait, like you really have to just get in and out. Like, come on, yeah, you're really yeah. kind of being nasty, especially since I'm sure hot water is at a premium. And, and it is hot water because it's steaming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How, how they're getting hot water. Yeah, no. I don't exactly know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for an episode that never aired, uh, how they managed to have hot water, but okay. Um, oh, I'll let, okay. I'll just ask you, would you, what would, what would be worse for you to get it a little bit too cold a shower or a little bit too warm a shower? What would bother you more? Oh my God. Um, so when I take a shower, it has to be at that thin line where it almost scalds my skin for me to feel comfortable. <laughs> like you, 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 you could make soup. You, you could boil tea in my shower. <laughs> I could put a tea bag at the top. I love it. Hot, 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 hot. But that, and I know it's like bad for your skin and everything, but like, I just love it. Cause it like makes like, like it almost like soothes my muscles mm-hmm. and everything. Like I, I love a, a really hot, hot, hot shower. I, I'm the same way. If it's even a little too chilly, I'm like, oh, this is awful. This is terrible. I can't, I can't tolerate it. So yeah, no, I'm exactly, exactly the same way. Um, so, so the next morning where everybody's getting ready for the trip, uh, they pack a bunch of rations that they want to trade with the AO 63rd, including some, uh, cans of peaches that are apparently quite impressive. Uh, BJ gets all excited about it. They're the size of your fist. Kind of thing. Uh, Klinger brings a letter to Margaret and we see him packing the Jeep. And so by the fact that he is doing all the corpsman duty, we, or the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, uh, you know, the corp- company clerk duty, we know that of course radar will not appear in this episode and he does not. He's not part in this, in this two-parter at all. So we see Margaret uh, read her letter and she lets out like a grunt and Hawkeye notices and says something, like, what's wrong? And she's nothing. And she's like, well, and and right from this part on is when we see Margaret is absolutely in a miserable mood, mm-hmm. and understandably we'll find out why. Um, and then we see that uh, that uh, Hawkeye stole some of the caviar. Winchester's caviar comes running out and uh, chases after him, but of course it's too late. When Potter is there at the jeep, he calls uh, Hawkeye Skeezix. Skeezix, yeah, this is not for you, Skeezix. <laughs> Do you? Because, like, I think I had heard that word and never bothered to look it up. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be on a podcast, I should act like I'm smart. So I looked it up. Do, do you know, like, what that is or what that means? Or It's a character from a comic strip, isn't it? I yeah. can't place it who it's from. But it, it's, oh, it's um Gasoline Alley, right? Yes. That's yes. right. Okay. Yeah. I've never and read Gasoline Alley, but some, some vague familiarity with it. The, the neat thing, I mean, yeah, I've never read it either, but apparently the cool thing about Gasoline Alley is Gasoline Alley took place in quote unquote real time. Right. They aged. The characters right. aged as, as it, as it went by, which I, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And especially like given how popular comic strips were back then, mm-hmm. I just think that's a fantastic aspect to, to bring life to your comic strip. Have you ever read any of it? No, no. I the only Gasoline Alley I've ever read was a Mad Magazine parody of it, where uh, the characters aged from panel to panel. So by the <laughs> by the end of the, by the end of the parody, they were all full grown adults to the point they were literally growing out of their clothes, like they were like hulking out of their clothes. And I didn't get the joke, you know what I mean? When I read the Mad parody, I was like, I don't know, like what? Okay, but now I understand what it means. But yes. Um, it reminds me of a Potter calling Hawkeye Skeezix reminds me of the uh, MASH Olympics episode where he calls uh, Winchester Sad Sack. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a great way to kind of belittle your staff a little by giving them the sort of silly cartoon name. And we know that, that, uh, we know in a later episode, uh, we'll see that Potter reads, uh, little Abner as well. He's a, so, uh, Potter's a fan of the comic strips. Another reason to like Colonel Potter. So, um, again, the Hawkeye and, and uh, Margaret are driving. Hawkeye is just being about as obnoxious as it can be. If you're in a bad mood, this is the worst thing because he's singing and he's, he's belting it out of the top of his lungs and he's, she's trying to get him to sort of settle down and he's being, you know, he's doing like puns and yeah. all this kind of stuff. It's, yeah, I would imagine it's like driving with Dr. Ange probably a little bit. Well, and, and- uh, <laughs> <laughs> these aren't even dad jokes they're grandpa jokes yeah right they are they're they are like yeah they, that's true i'm probably being unfair to dr Ange. the doctor dad jokes have some cleverness this is this is just being stupid kind of and he, you know again if you're in margaret's mood you know why this is like shut the hell up you know <laughs> just i can't stand this so the bombs start dropping and margaret of course is you know, absolutely you know keep moving go forward and hawkeye's trying to turn around and all this kind of stuff and you know, she's mad at him because he won't figure out how to you know, how to navigate along the bombs I'm like well how would you know how to do that um they finally do arrive at the 8063rd we see that there's a sign for the 8063rd where it says mash we never close which I don't think I ever quite realized that all the mash units get their own tag, their own tagline. Right. Yeah. Because four seven seven is best care best anywhere. Care anywhere. Yeah. So I realized, okay, everybody gets their own, their own bit and they arrive and we see that the entire camp has been taken down. Now, two, two things I really like about this, this segment. Um, I'm really impressed when, when Hawkeye and Margaret are driving in the Jeep. I'm really impressed with that camera work. Like, like the cam, the camera was mounted to the Jeep and it's whizzing by. I, I, I and I'm not going to say it's cinematic, but I, I was really impressed for, you know, this kind of shit. Like, I just think that I thought that camera work was great. The other thing I loved, I loved when Hawkeye and Margaret pull into the 8063rd because you have the voiceover of Klinger on the phone, to, you know, and telling BJ what is happening mm-hmm. as you see it. And I do wonder, was that planned or was it like a, Oh, we kind of ran out of, t- we went over with our script this week. So we're just going to put the voiceover here. Cause, cause a lot of times, sometimes a voiceover will sound different, but when it, when uh Klinger and BJ are pictured together, it sounds the exact same. That's interesting. I hadn't really noticed that. Uh Yeah. They don't do, They've Mash has done that occasionally. If it was a directorial touch by either Alan Alda or Bert Metcalf, uh, I like it because again, we, we pull up and we see that they have been, they have bugged out. And it's kind of, it's funny. I mean, they were shooting this episode, you know, in the, they have scenes in the camp. I'm sure they didn't take the, the camp set down just for that shot. So I kind of wonder where they shot that. Did they have like another empty field somewhere where they could do that? Uh, my, you know, my guess just, is yes. Yeah. Yeah. Put up the, put up the frames for the tents and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, that's a nice touch. It is a nice touch uh, overall. Um, and then, uh, the 477 finally gets through to the 8063rd where they bugged out and, and BJ's like, well, damn it. Why didn't you tell us you were bugged out? And he says, uh, we happened too fast. Really? Yeah. Did it really it, happen that fast? It, it ha, yeah, it had to take. Out two or three hours, I guess, to to debug the entire camp. I like. I really just think they forgot about them. 
Like yeah. honestly, that's what I think. <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because in previous episodes there have been references to the 8063rd in ways that are not super complimentary mm-hmm. to the 8063rd. So I always feel like they're always like suggesting that the that unit is not quite as run a tight ship as the 477th. And this feels like another data point there where it's like, oh yeah, they didn't bother to call. They didn't, as you were packing up, you didn't say, hey, get on the radio. The first thing you do, get on the radio and call the 477th to make sure they're not coming. But no, they just let Chief Surgeon Pierce and Head Nurse Major Houlihan drive into enemy territory. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so Hawkeye and Margaret take off. And then, of course, as is typical with the Army Jeeps, it dies. It uh, dies out in the middle of a field. And Margaret says, go out and try and fix it. And she's aghast at Hawkeye for being so mechanically inept. And, you know, she's been a little unfair. Why the hell mm-hmm. would he know how to do this? Exactly. I, I would yeah. know how to do it. I mean, for God's sakes. And And also, she knows Hawkeye enough. Like, she knows he doesn't know how to fix a Jeep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, he's a surgeon. Like, why would he even you know, have any inkling about this? And there's a lot of physical comedy where he's kicking the grade or he says maybe there's a loose buckle on the fan belt. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of like me helping my dad, you know, in those <laughs> days where I'm just have no idea what the hell I'm doing. No clue. There, Margaret, there, tried- there, there was a comedian who said, you know, like, if I would have to fix the engine of a car, if, if I raise the hood, unless there's a big on-off switch and it's switched <laughs> to off, I'm not going to know how to fix it. Yeah, no, yeah, no clue. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, what, what are you talking about, Margaret? But of course, we're like, she's in a bad mood. So she's yeah, in no, yeah, she's, she's in no, yeah. no mood to be charitable or whatever. So, uh, they, Margaret then is results to, to kicking it as well because she can't figure it out. Then they hide because they hear a bunch of, uh, soldiers coming and we see that it's four either Chinese or North Korean soldiers and they've got rifles with them. And it's funny, if you look on the IMDb uh, trivia, someone who knows this stuff very well mentions that they said none of the four guns that these soldiers are carrying have uh, cartridges in them. So they're all unloaded. <laughs> now, that doesn't make it a mistake. It could be these four guys don't have any ammo. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. But it's certainly not anything I would notice. And they look, we see that um one of the soldiers actually gets kind of close to where yeah. Margaret and Hawkeye are hiding, but it's only at that moment because one of them gets the Jeep started that mm-hmm. he's called back and they climb into the Jeep and take off. But I, and I, he, I, he, he turns the other way. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I like I that thought, detail. I thought this scene was legitimately scary. Like, it would be terrifying. Like, if, if you're really in that situation and there's four soldiers are coming up because you're going to be taken hostage like or just shot, yeah. you know? I mean, if they're not feeling particularly charitable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the only one, the four North Korean soldiers don't have lines exactly, but they do one of the yell and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the only one that got credit that I could see on IMDb is Johnny Yoon. And Johnny Yoon was in a bunch of episodes of MASH before. Most famously, he's in the abduction of Margaret Houlihan. He's the guy doing the translating during the birthing seminar. The uh, whole uh, swoosh that thing. Yeah. He's that that's that guy. That's Johnny Yoon. <laughs> so yeah, he's one of the four. And you know they take off. And I love that. You know Hawkeye's like, boy, Colonel, they're going to be in trouble with Colonel Butterfield said he stole their jeep. <laughs> <laughs> and you know she's how a man can be so mechanically inept. And he says, I take a lot of cabs. <laughs> and I thought in Crabapple Cove he takes cabs. <laughs> like what are you doing? 
<laughs> what, what are you talking about? Um, but again, Margaret is just like, okay. And then that, that's our, that's our act break. Um, so then we come back and Colonel Potter is trying to get the brass on and figure out, you know, somebody help, help us and find these two. And one of the, the running kind of themes throughout the episode or not themes of the character bit is how upset BJ is. Like, oh, yeah. He yep. is really mad. And he's, he's acting atypically of BJ. You know, normally he's kind of so calm, but here he's like, he, he's stalking Colonel Potter walking behind him. And I love that. I love that detail that when he's thinking about his best friend being out there. He is really overwhelmed. And I, I love that they gave in an episode that's so much about Hawkeye and Margaret. I like they have this little beat for BJ. Yeah, I agree. And I, I know you, I think you prefer it when MASH only has one storyline. I actually, actually don't. I like when there are two stories, especially much later when there's a more serious plot line and then mm. a lighter plot line. But in this story, I am glad they didn't do any other kind of second yeah. story. Like you, ha- you have the people still back at the camp and they're you know working to get information, but it's still the same story. And in this case, I'm glad they did it that way. And if you're going to do a two-parter, you got to feel like you have enough story for both parts. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's like, yeah, if they did a subplot about some wacky thing Klinger's doing, you'd be like, well, why yeah. are we doing yeah. this? Just yeah. do part one, you know. Uh, I think it was Ken Levine who said, if you ever see an hour-long episode of what's normally a half-hour show, it means that the writers had 12 minutes extra, but not yeah. not enough, you know. <laughs> they said yeah. they never get a whole hour. It's always like they had a little too much, and so they had to do a two-parter and pad it out. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. But um, this is not padded, I would say. We'll talk about it in part two. But there's a lot going on here. You know, I mean, there's a whole lot to, to unpack, uh, especially since it kind of does a cliffhanger thing. So um, uh, Hawkeye and Margaret are wandering, and then they find this hut. And, you know, he they it's, it's, it's this bombed-out place, but, I mean, it's got at least a roof and walls in it. And, you know, Margaret is is a little worried. She's like, you know, I'm not staying in here. It's the perfect target. And that's when Hawkeye drops some knowledge. He says, Margaret, some forward observers probably using this hut as a registration point. He's not going to, they say he's not going to destroy his own benchmark. And she's impressed. She goes, that's right. I didn't know you knew anything military. And that's when he says, I learned it at the movies. Abbott Costello beat Hitler. Now you had you had to love that. Yes, that's why I mentioned it twice. I mentioned it in the synopsis <laughs> in here because as a kid, I would have loved for them to have been an Abbott Costello meet Hitler movie. I would have totally been on board. The Three Stooges met Hitler, uh, you know, uh, the Great Dictator. Why not? I I would have loved to have seen Bud Abbott slap Hitler around. That would have been oh a great my gosh, movie. yeah, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> but I I love um, Loretta Swit's line read on that where she's like, "That's right," like she's yeah. actually genuinely impressed that Hawkeye has bothered to retain some piece of military information. I think that's, that's terrific. So then they look outside and they see there is a wounded soldier and uh, he's laying there and he's bloody. And of course, Hawkeye is going to run right out and take care, take, try to take care of him. Margaret as this whole bit about where she's <laughs> in love. She's like, stay down, stay down. And he's like, okay, I'm staying down, stay down, lower. And he's like, you know, if there's, a, I'll, I'll dig a tunnel. And they're getting madder and madder. And then, you know, she's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. And then, then she's like, just as he's wandering out the door, she's like, I won't say another word. Go out, go by yourself, but keep low. And then he just goes, 
great. He's so bad. Fantastic. Um, and Hawkeye, you know, I, it's one of the best things about Hawkeye. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, as he says, his, uh, family crest is a cringing chicken. But in this instance, he's incredibly brave that he's willing to risk artillery or anything just to potentially save somebody's life. His moral, from- his moralistic duty to him, to himself carries him past his fear. Absolutely. Uh, and then he comes back. Margaret's yelling at him. Why would you go out there and not come back without him? And then Alan Alda has a great, he does a great line where he just goes, he's dead. Just very matter of fact, like, okay. You know, like, all right. So then the, the bombs start dropping. A bunch of debris falls on Hawkeye. And then he says, oh, I can't get up because I have this piece of shrapnel on my leg. Now, look, this show, MASH is not meant for action scenes. Nothing fell on Hawkeye's leg that would hurt him to that extent. I mean, come on. I was debating whether or not to bring that up, but since you did, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. There, what looks like a couple of placemats, like wicker placemats, <laughs> fall on his back. Yeah, I'm like, where did this piece of wood that was apparently so severe that he can't get up hit him? I'm like, come on, guy. Like, you guys probably should have <laughs> taken that, taken another shot at that one. But okay, fine. Uh, and that leads to a scene very reminiscent of the Carry On Hawkeye episode where he's got to get the gamma gob- globulin in his caboose yeah. from Margaret and mm-hmm. he screams like a like a chicken and um you know she's she's she says you want some morphine no 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 and Alan Alda's face turns beet red and i just love how much hawkeye's pain threshold is comically low i mean i don't know how bad could this shrapnel it's wood it probably hurt, but he got some splinters going in but he's just screaming like a baby and you know that's that's great to Great comedy yelling. And then she says, you want to look at it? And she, he's like, don't be morbid. Just, <laughs> which is great. And we you, see her, we see her pull it out. And we see this big bloody hunk. And again, I don't know how it got in there. You always say that, uh, Loretta Sweat plays a great drunk. Yeah. I think Alan Alda, his, his, his pain scream is mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> wah, wah! <laughs> Just absolutely going, dialing it at 11. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. fantastic. Um, so now we're back at the 477th, and there is this extended scene here mm-hmm. with Winchester. First of all, it's with Winchester and Klinger, and then Winchester alone. All of this cut in syndication. All of it. I never oh, saw geez. any of this until the DVDs. And it's kind of significant. Yeah. It's kind of significant because what happened, because, you know, Klinger and, and Winchester have this uh, little conversation. I like that Klinger tries to establish a little bit of, um, I don't know. I'm going to say friendship, but a little bit of connection between a the rapport. two. Yeah. A rapport. That's a better word for it. Yeah. A rapport. Because he's like, look, major, mm-hmm. neither you or I want to be here. Mm. And, and we're both willing to kind of almost do anything to get out of here. I'm just choosing this t- tack and you're taking this other tack. Winchester, of course, is having none of it because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to re- think that he has any similarities between uh, him and Klinger. Uh, I love, he says, maybe we could even, uh, trade a few, uh, trade secrets and stuff like that. <laughs> He's just kind of <laughs> stringing with Jester along, but Klinger leaves and they talk about, they establish that they're waiting for, well, no, the, the phone rings and Klinger is realized it's, it's this general mm-hmm. and he puts it, you know, puts the phone down. And he says, hold on. I'll go get Colonel Potter. Winchester uses that as an opportunity to try and talk to this general to get a transfer, which again, completely ridiculous that that's even going to work. He tries it. It fails. 
and the general hangs up and that's what's the that's the reason they can't get a hold of this guy to search for margaret and hawkeye is because kind of like the one chance they had to talk to this guy and which just ruined, ruined it yeah and all that was cut in syndication all of that and it didn't bother me because it was like well just this is just one of those situations they can't get anybody on the horn but i thought it was really interesting that they used this you know angle to kind of move the plot forward winchester is being a jerk because he's again he's really putting his friends life uh lives at stake he doesn't think of it that way but nevertheless it's like he really is you know not doing a very nice thing here by taking up the general's time and and do, and ruining this situation just for his own potential betterment you 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 often talk about um like your your syndicator and what they cut and um a, a while ago when you mentioned it i was out running and i was thinking if Rob Kelly ever had that job, he would have been fired because he, he would have removed possibly 10 seconds from. Oh, episode. I know. I wouldn't be able to do it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't cut this. This is, this is important. This is the, this is the fabric of the episode. What are you talking about? Yeah. They'd be like, yeah. No, I don't know what I would, I would, yeah, I would be terrible. I would, I would weep at the thought of actually cutting frames out of MASH. Like it would just make me so upset. And then I would, I would hoard that footage, you know what I mean? And keep it in a box or something, which is probably not illegal, but certainly not, uh, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Um, So yeah, it would, I would not have been good at that job. Um, I love again, going back how much mad, how mad BJ gets it. Winchester. I mean, he is like furious at him because again, he's like, he's taking his, they're putting all guys, and Margaret's life at risk. So uh, it's it's a great bit, and I'm I wish they had retained it a little bit. But and he's know. he's threatening physical violence. Yep. To Winchester, yeah, yeah. I think that's terrific. Um. So then night has fallen. We're back at this hut, and Margaret and Hawkeye are talking. And she's, you can you come from a long line of courageous military people. Insanity is hereditary. Uh, <laughs> and she says, "I suppose I deserve that." No, you don't. I was being kind. And they start talking back and forth. And then finally, Hawkeye is like, look, what's in it? Is it the letter? He's never mind, you know, or whatever. And then Hawkeye breaks out this Japanese scotch. And uh, I've never. Do you drink scotch at all, Sean? I don't know. I couldn't tell you what's is Japanese scotch particularly good. I have no idea. I, I actually don't drink alcohol at all. At uh, all, it, at all. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't had a drink since I was 22, and it's oh my. it's it's not you know I'm not like a, a, a recovering or recovering alcoholic or anything like that. Um, a lot of it was just um I was going out to the bars and like for that first year. Well, okay. So the the real story the real story is so I used to drink um in high school. <laughs> so kind of like um from the you year started now, early. Yeah. So kind of like from the years of 17 to up to my 21st birthday like it was really fun and exciting because you know you're not supposed to and then once it became legal and i could drive and go out to bar then i just got so afraid that i would drink too much and either crash a car or god forbid hit someone or something like Mm -hmm. that so ever since then i just have never had a plus also like it's so fattening and it's so expensive and like so i thought well i'll just eliminate all of that so and and I don't I don't have I don't have like issues when people do drink or anything like that. I, I have far more issues with people smoking because like mm-hmm. that smoke comes into my lungs and stuff. Like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, it's not like a it's not like a, a moral crusade for me or anything like that. But I I just don't 
And the other thing too is, even when I did drink, there were very, very few alcoholic drinks that I really loved. The t- I, I hate beer. To me, I think I think beer tastes like carbonated urine. I just think it's horrible. <laughs> now, like you would like, imagine, what that would taste like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What when I did drink, I would love I would love a mudslide because it tasted like chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have like rum and cherry coke. That that was okay, but that's kind of about it. Okay, you not drinking must be part of the reason why you are older than me, but yet you look twenty years <laughs> younger than me. That has that, that has totally, got, that absolutely could be absolutely. That has got to be part of the reason, Sean. So okay, well, good good advice. Um, so over the Japanese, uh, it's just something about the way he says it, Japanese scotch, like Jap the Japanese part is. And, and their faces when they drink it. Yeah. Yeah. And she goes, Ooh, like, you know, maybe that it's, that it's rare. Any of you listening who know your liquor, let us know in the comments if Japanese scotch is particularly notable for some reason. Again, maybe just because it's, you don't really get that much in, in the South Korea. But so over the, uh, over the drinks, they share, they start sharing a little bit. And Margaret talks about that she, you would think because I'm in the military, you know, that I, I want to be here. I don't. I hate it. She goes, I hate the destruction, the stupidity of the waste, mm-hmm. which, uh, I think is a terrific term. You know, just the, the, you think about how much I'm not going to go yeah. down this road too far, but just think about all of the effort, all the lives lost, all the money spent, all the mm-hmm. environmental destruction wreaked upon the world. For these, for these you know, land disputes, you know, yeah. in some cases, I mean, not everything or some things are battle. Some are completely battles for freedom. Absolutely. Yes. yes. But, uh, but, but yes, you think about it, if we could just not do this to one another, we would not have all this waste, but okay. Mm-hmm. There's my, my really deep, uh, anti-war commentary for this episode. <laughs> um, so finally, uh, Margaret reveals what's in the letter and she starts reading it and she's dear Darlene. And he's like, Darlene. Is that your nickname or something? No. Uh, it's, uh, you know, who, why is he calling you Darlene? He's not calling me Darlene. He put this letter in the wrong envelope. How dumb is Penobscot? Yeah, really? I mean, my <laughs> Lord. I mean, I, I, wow. <laughs> like, bad enough, you're cheating on your wife and you're writing nice romantic letters, but like, you don't even think, geez, maybe. Don't put the envelopes near each other. Or yeah, I, yeah. Know, I mean, so this um this brings up what we talked about earlier about continuity and how Mash doesn't really have you know a very strong continuity. And I'm going to do a little like behind the scenes thing. Um, so originally we were supposed to record this episode maybe like I don't know two weeks ago or so. So I so I started watching this to prep for it. And um, I don't want to say it like comes out of the blue, but it is kind of like you know. Margaret opens up about this letter and reveals her. Now, in in a in possibly a good way, we had to postpone it. And since then, your episode of images came up and I listened to it. And in that episode, she opens up to Hawkeye about the dog. Mm-hmm. So they so they have um connected, mm. and she does have a level of trust with him because of that so when i re-watched it because we were recording now it did make it flow so much like she has a history of opening up to him she opened up to him about the dog so now it probably is just a little bit easier for her to open up about this which is much more serious hmm. okay that's interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense 
It does. You know, they're getting to know each other. They have become friends a little bit. I mean, there's the opening episode of the season, you know, where she reveals to him, him and BJ about mm-hmm. the trouble she's already having with Penobscot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting. Uh, just across, you know, just over the course of just a couple episodes, they're, mm-hmm. they're having some real heart to hearts here, uh, which are nice. I love the sort of the comedic rhythms of where she, she's reading the letter and she's saying, you know, the water is whoosh, whoosh, whoosh mm-hmm. over your, over Darlene's toes. And she's like, talks about my letter. He talked about a machine gun. My letter went clickety click. Hers goes whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Uh, I just, that's a great, I mean, said, it's not even like, it's not funny. It's not trying to be. There's just something a great, good writing. I guess it's just good writing. It's, there's something about using sound effects to, to put this across. And then, you know, Margaret is so tough and so military. And yet, as she's tried to point out in many episodes, she's also a person, you know, she has feelings and, this idea that she gets these letters from her husband talking about machine gun parts and yet Penobscot saves all of his romantic gooiness for this other woman. Yeah. Uh, has got to be absolutely crushing. Absolutely, you know, just, just devastating. And then this whole bit about, uh, this Darlene person is kind of a rat because not only is, you know, she having an affair with a married man, he's telling Darlene about his wife well you know, like, in the in the letter he says you know i'm married yeah and she says she'll make an excellent hostess when we return to the states she's sturdy and a yeah. hard worker yeah. and you know there's that old that old uh, axiom I, if i were darlene I'd, I'd look out because it's sort of like well if, he, if he'll do it to you if he'll do it for you he'll do it to you kind of thing like i mean obviously this affair that with darlene is an affair because he's he's talking about going home with margaret but like what a weird flex to like keep talking to your mistress about your wife. Like what the hell is Penobscot's a real, it's a real louse. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only, the only kind of thing, I guess maybe theoretically Darlene could be married also. Maybe so. So they're yeah. both, they're both in the same boat. And so they can talk about it. Maybe it's rough. Yeah. It is rough. It is rough. And I'm you know, Hawkeye does his best. Sturdy can be, you know, quite, uh, and then she walks away and kind of just gets away from the table a little. And then when he's trying to make the best of it, uh, she turns and waves the letter and Loretta Swit just crushes it with this line where she goes, I mean nothing to him. And she's almost crying, but not quite. It's, it's really heart wrenching mm-hmm. the way she says that though, the realization to herself and to Hawkeye, you know, this is my husband and I mean nothing to him. It's, it's really. Uh, it's rough. It's rough. And, uh, I think it's a wonderfully, for my hesitation about some of the later events of this episode, right, yeah. all this stuff with them here is top notch and yeah. it's terrific. And I love seeing the two of them together just, just sharing with each other. It's, it's wonderful performances by both actors. I don't want to say it's my favorite line of the episode, but the fact that Hawkeye says, I'm sorry, Margaret, you must really hurt. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what you should say to someone when they tell you. Because your your inclination is, oh, I know this happened to me. Or like you try to put yourself into the situation because like you think that, you know, you have that, that commonality or anything when, when you're actually just supposed to like, 
a lot of times when people come to you with the problems, well, at least my inclination is I need, I need to fix it. I need to help them. I need mm. to solve this for them. And really, I need to listen to them. And that is exactly what Hawkeye is doing here. Yeah. That true. line is fantastic. I love that. Yeah. They're, 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 they're great together here. I will, I will say again, I'm not going to get to too far into it, but I did one time in my life find out how someone really felt about me in a form of a, of a letter that I was not meant to see. It does. It is not good. That is not good. Uh, there's something about seeing it in the cold kind of black and white versus hearing it out of someone is not fun. So I really uh, sympathize with Margaret that this is how she finds out is this kind of, you know, indirect way. It's really pretty brutal. So um, they continue to talk a little and he's, you know, she's like, it certainly has been an interesting day. And then um, they sit down, they, they kind of move over. uh, They kind of move away from the table a little bit. And then they start, you know, she says, I've taken great pride that I can adjust to anything. Yeah. And, you know, um, and then so she says, oh, I can have a little bit more of the of the scotch. And she says, OK, maybe a sip. And then she pours half the bottle out into the mug and they cut. They 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 do the return shot on Hawkeye is just watching his expensive Japanese scotch disappear. <laughs> and at one point, his eyes kind of like, hmm. And then she hands the bottle back to him and he like clearly looks at it like. Oh Christ, it's half gone. <laughs> it's fantastic. So uh Margaret uh she gets up and they decide, okay, they're gonna try and you know make the best for the best of the night and they're gonna settle down or whatever. And that's when of course uh we cut to you know Colonel Potter back at the four seven seventh and he's waiting, trying to find out again the phone's just you know uh not ringing. Love this shot. It's just him. It's just his coffee cup. It's quiet. You hear the crickets. I actually wish they would have kept on this just a little bit longer. Because like a lot of times, like on TV and movies, you you don't have nothing happening. Mm-hmm. But I loved this. And and I understand they put this in to show that like time has passed. But I, I wish it would have been five seconds. Ten, I would have loved ten seconds. I understand they're not going to do that. Five seconds longer, I would have loved this. Okay, I, yeah. I, I do love it. I, I, it's it's my favorite shot of of the show. I, I just love that. I like that he's in his robe. Yep, like yeah. he went to bed and then got mm-hmm. up, and then he's just sitting there staring at the phone. Uh, yeah, it is nice. It is a nice moment. And you're right; they generally don't do silences in television because yeah. you feel like you got to have something going on. It's time is money. Time is money. But yeah, I, I do like that they they had that little moment. We cut back to Hawkeye and Margaret, and that's when the bombs start. Uh, start falling and she's screaming. Uh, she's flustered and he's like trying to get us, you know, quiet down, you know, whatever. And they've established that, that they get into it. They will get into it much more expl- explicitly in the cave episode in season seven. But we also said that Margaret doesn't like loud noises. That is something that particularly bothers her. So the shelling is going to be a, you know, particularly difficult for her to, to handle. And she starts to just break down. She starts to just cry and sob uncontrollably and Hawkeye holds her and she says, you know, hold me. And he says, I'm, I'm, please hold me. I'm holding you. I can't feel it. Hold me. Hold me. Margaret, I'm holding you. And he kind of gets annoyed. This is the part where I start to kind of mm-hmm. not sort mm-hmm. of buy it. I guess yep. you're on the same yep. page as I am here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's so, I just think it's so clunky. 
it's like we we have to get them together. We have to have their mouths open so they'll be yelling and screaming. Like I just, I just I, again, like I, I've I've said a lot of things that I love about this episode, and there are things I just I just think the way that they come together. I, I don't know. Like I just I, I don't want to say I don't buy it, but I just I just I just wish it would have been done in a different way. Okay, fair enough. I mean, maybe again, this is says more about me than anything else, but like I would not find this moment to be. Uh, something that would i didn't know how to phrase this but yes this would this would not this would not lead me to wanting to be amorous let's put it that way i absolutely agree i didn't know how to phrase it but yeah yeah i don't know that yeah i agree i understand the whole notion of (laughs) that that you may be i mean look i've never mm, short of one time when i got mugged and and we were beaten up pretty severely that i've ever really feared for my life in a real way so i mean i can't i i can't experience i can't say i've experienced this the way these two characters are experiencing it but yeah i just feel like this would not inspire me yeah to 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 <laughs> want to do this with anyone but uh, you know okay <laughs> you know uh again maybe some of you listening you're like oh no that's what it would do for me all right oh, I, I can't wait for the comments section not we're not here to kink shame it's all cool I mean, whatever works for you uh but but that's what it is and so we see them kissing and of course we're kind of like well all right what the hell what's going on there we cut back to 477 back in potter's office here he's he's still waiting hawkeye uh, excuse me bj shows up along with father mulcahy uh, making his first appearance in the episode and they're just standing there and we only could get some news and you know, any news, anything that could happen. And uh, they talk about that. Uh, we're going to miss them in OR tomorrow. And Mulcahy, Mulcahy says, I've said an entire novena in one night. And he says, God, I wonder what's happening. They must be going through hell out there. Cut to yeah. uh, obviously things have continued. <laughs> the bombs are no longer falling and they are continuing on. This is the one moment that I will say that I think I glossed over every time I watched this episode. Because in my memory, they're getting hot and heavy while the bombs are still falling. Right. Yeah. And I was always like, come on. But no, the bombs are not falling at this point. It was the thing that inspired them. But as we see them, you know, rolling on the ground together, the, the bombs are not falling. So, okay, they got it, this, this romantic spark got lit. And now it, the flame is burning, even though the bombs have stopped. So at least that part is better than, oh, okay, they're not actually having right. sex while <laughs> bombs are falling. Like, okay, all right. It's a little more palatable than I remembered it being. Uh, and then we cut to, uh, well, not cut to, we we freeze frame, and it says, to be continued. Yeah. And so we get the our first two-parter of MASH, and that is the end of part one of Comrades in Arms. So... A great episode, probably right up until that last little bit that I think we're both of us kind of feel about it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. but I mean, you know, however much feel about, and we, again, when we get to part two, we get to talk about the kind of the aftermath of having done it, of having had these characters get together. Uh, everything up until this point is top notch. Mm-hmm. I love them together. The scenes with them are great. All the stuff with the, the rest of the camp worrying about them. The Winchester scene is funny. So all in all, I think like a really solid episode. Mm-hmm. So, do you have a favorite line or joke from the show? So, you 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 took it. <laughs> I did. Uh, so, I, my my runner up was when um Klinger and Charles are talking 
And he says that, um, Klinger says, we're soulmates. And Winchester says, we're cellmates. <laughs> I love that. Like that, that's great. But my favorite part, and it's not really a line. It's like a whole section where it's, um, where, uh, he offers, uh, Hawkeye says, uh, when he's talking about the, the Japanese, uh, the Japanese scotch, he says, once some more. And she says, Oh, a sip, maybe. <laughs> yeah. She like pours it out. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that was very funny. Every time I watched the, like I watched, I don't know, three or four times, maybe five. Uh, every time I laughed, even though I knew it was coming. That's my favorite. Part. It's a, it's a great bit of physical comedy. You know, yeah. it really is where Hawkeye just watches the yeah. booze disappear. And of course he realizes Margaret's in a vulnerable position. So he's not going to be like, um, all right, that's enough. Like he's going to let her pour, but then she pours like, you know, a half a mug full of, of scotch, you know? Uh, yeah, that's a great. You know, he's like, oh, really watching his expensive <laughs> booze uh, disappear on him. Uh, my favorite line, actually, again, I specifically didn't mention it because I want to save it here, is when Potter is telling him about the assignment to go to the 863rd. And Hawkeye goes, I'm not so sure I like this. And then Potter adds, <laughs> and pick a nurse to go with you. And then he goes, I'm not too sure I hate it either. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> a great rhythm to that joke. And BJ laughs at it, which is perfect. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, this, is, this isn't too bad. So uh, that's Comrades in Arms Part 1. I guess Sean will be back uh, for Part 2, where we'll talk about the, the ramifications of, of doing this with our characters, having our lead two characters uh, get together uh, in this way. But uh, until then, Sean, thank you so much for, for coming back on the show. Always, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to report for duty. All right. So why don't you tell people where they can find you here on the uh, Fire and Water Network? On the first Wednesday of every month, Paul Keen and I host the Batman family reunion and all of our bat cousins are welcome to join in the food, the stories, uh, every, all the, the horseshoes, everything involved in a family reunion and Batman. The first Wednesday of every month, we love doing it. It has such a good time. It is a great show. I absolutely love it. I'm very proud that it's part of the network. And as much as I've enjoyed it in the beginning, I think you guys are getting better. As you go on, uh, I just find it to be an entirely pleasurable listening experience, despite the fact that I've only read a handful of issues of Batman Family. Uh, but I, the, the segment you guys have broken it down to, to talk about the other comics that were out at the time, the guests you've gotten, you've landed a couple of great interviews with people associated with the show. So you guys should be very proud. I think it's a terrific podcast. Thanks. Absolutely. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find all the back episodes on our website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can leave uh, a review for the show. I would really appreciate that. If you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review for MASHCAST, uh, I would very much appreciate it. And you can subscribe to it there or any other podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking MASH over on Twitter at MASH477Cast. And then finally, if you want to support Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you're going to lock various rewards, one of which to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So a big salute to Daniel Ulrich, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Mike Thomas, Joe Perino, Billy Shulman, Dennis Bailey, Kara Kay, Tim English, Adam Ackerman, Lisa P., Laura Braun, Stephen Van Skyke, Michael Kelly, and Daryl Clark. I really do appreciate the support, everybody. So uh, that is going to do it. We will see you next week. But until then, that is all. Look, Captain, I got the feeling I'm talking to a broken record. Get me General Roberts. You're afraid that's impossible? Try not to be afraid, Captain. You're supposed to be a soldier. <laughs>